0: Welcome to the virtual Coffee Break podcast with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. Today, we have a teaser for the upcoming Michigan Dairy Health Symposium that will take place in the MSU campus on March 10. In today's episode, Dr. Ángel Abuelo will be talking with one of the speakers of this great lineup. They will be talking about socially housed calf and some of the data that will be presented at the symposium. Dr. Abuelo, take it away.
1: Welcome to the Coffee Break with the MSU Dairy Team. My name is Ángel Abuelo and I'm the Dairy Extension Veterinarian for the Dairy Extension Team. As you hopefully know, we are organizing the third edition of the Michigan Dairy Health Symposium on March 10th here at the MSU campus. And this year, we're going to be focusing on calf health management. For this event, we have an excellent lineup of the speakers that we're going to be talking about everything calf-related, from how the pregnant cow management influences calf health to updates on colostrum management, vaccination protocols, diagnosis, and treatment of disease, et cetera. I have with me today one of the speakers of the symposium, Dr. Whitney Knauer, who will be speaking about socially housing dairy calves. Welcome, Whitney. Do you mind introducing yourself to our audience?
2: Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Dr. Abuelo. So hi, everyone. Um, I'm Dr. Whitney Knauer. Um, I am an assistant professor in dairy production medicine at the University of Minnesota. I've been there about five years now, um, and I've been focused really probably for the last 10 years on social housing, both a large group and more recently looking at, at pair housing. Um, of dairy calves and kind of management and, and health and performance in those systems.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, so we are really excited about everything you'll be sharing with us in this symposium. So thanks again for agreeing to visit us in a couple of weeks. You know, we're just going to have a nice discussion about some of the topics that you're going to be covering. So talk about like socially impaired housing cows. Can you start by explaining overall in the US how dairy calves are being housed currently?
2: we look at some of the statistics from the USDA, so we can look at the NOMS data, which is the um, National Animal Health Monitoring System. So what they do is every seven years, they do a big survey uh, that's representative of the, the U.S. and kind of what's going on. And sort of over the, the last two surveys, um, we've, we've had really about 75% of calves being housed individually. Um, And then the remaining 25% being housed in some sort of group. And that is changing a little bit. So there's some more recent data um, from the the University of Wisconsin looking at kind of some of this survey where we're looking at the kinds of social housing. And and there's an uptick a little bit in pair housing among dairy producers. Um, But the majority of of calves are still being housed individually in, in the U.S.
1: Thank you. So you mentioned like different terms like socially housing, pair housing, group housing. Can you explain what really are the difference between those different uh, definitions?
2: Social housing is really any, any grouping of calves. Um, and that's that's really from two up to you know the biggest group that we'd see between you know, 25 calves and some of our automated um, milk feeder herds. So when we talk about kind of the different categories, Really, we talk about pair housing, so that would be putting, you know, N of two, so two calves in a, in a barn, or putting two hutches together um, with an outside run for the calves, so, so two calves, so that would be pair housing. Um, and then group housing, I kind of split it into small group versus large group, so we have quite a few producers who are doing kind of the four to five calves in a group, and really when I talk about small groups, I, I use the distinction when we think about health challenge um, and, and when we think about what is the decreased risk of respiratory disease, decreased risk of mortality, um, we're talking groups less than less than 10 calves, eight to 10 calves. So that would be kind of small group. And then when we talk about large groups, so these are most typically in our, our herds that are using auto feeders to feed their calves um, or mob feeders maybe. Um, but those would be, you know, talking about more than 10. But more typically, we're talking 20 to 25 calves. So again, we got pair housing, two calves in a group, small group, um, less than eight to 10, um, but more than two, and then large group is anything over over 10 calves per group.
1: All right. So what would be the main benefits associated with socially housing calves versus the individual housing? So why should the Michigan producers make the move to socially housing calves?
2: Yeah, that's a a million dollar question, right? We can think about this a couple different ways. So so one way is on the welfare side, kind of our social license to um, produce milk um, we think about consumer concerns. And one of the big consumer concerns that we have is um, cow-calf separation. That's kind of the, the heart string pulling issue um, that consumers know about and care about. And so I think when we, when we consider the fact that we're probably not gonna be housing cows with calves, um, in, the, in the future, there are some organic producers who are doing that and, and doing that successfully. But when we think about kind of our, our medium to large size farms, that's not probably going to be an option in the future. So we can kind of mitigate consumer concerns by putting calves in a group and giving them a buddy. Um, so that's, that's one thing is that we can kind of help consumer concern. And then when we think about the benefits to the, the calf, we can think about, um, there's there's improvements in pre-weaning performance, there's improved starter intake, there's improved growth during the pre-weaning period. Um, we have some, some new really interesting data that's still preliminary, um, but where, which is sort of showing that social housing during the pre-weaning period reduces the risk of respiratory disease post-weaning Um, So we can think about this kind of social buffering or social effects that kind of mitigate some of the environmental stressors and um, disease risk stressors when we move calves to larger groups. Um, And then when we think about from the the producer side, which is probably what you're all interested in um, hearing about is labor efficiency. So we know that labor is becoming more challenging um, to, to find good labor, and, and especially people who want to work with, with calves seems to be kind of the place where people really either love to be or really hate to be on the dairy farm. Um, when we think about maybe not so much with pair housing, but with definitely with small groups and with larger groups, um, we can improve our labor efficiency so we can reduce the number of people that we need to handle the same number of calves. Certainly the labor needs change a little bit and we need people who are interested in looking at computers or looking or really good calf people and and are really good at finding sick animals. So those are kind of the the big overview of kind of the, the benefits both um, on the consumer side and then to the calf and then also to the producer.
1: Yeah that sounds great but Despite all these benefits that you've mentioned, uh, implementing social housing uh, has also some challenges. And I've personally seen like some farms that move to group houses and then their uh, disease in calves uh, increase exponentially. So can you talk about some of the challenges associated from moving from individually to socially housing dairy calves on farms?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing that we want to think about is when we're considering this move, is benchmarking. So, are we already doing a good job with our calves? And veterinarians are, are well skilled in, you know, knowing kind of the, the benchmarks that we should be achieving. So, we're talking like excellent colostrum management. We're talking, um, you know, low rates of morbidity and mortality um, during the pre-weaning period. D- Dr. Terry Olivet has a great quote that she likes to say, and that that social housing kind of um, exacerbates strain in the system. If we are already not kind of doing an okay job, but we're just kind of getting by, um, you know, maybe our colostrum management isn't great. Um, that's just going to blow things up when, when you put calves in a group. Because really, when we think about this, we take a, a human analogy. We're essentially taking newborn babies and we're putting them in kindergarten, right? And, you know, we know that kindergarten for humans is a disgusting place full of bacteria, you know, bugs and respiratory disease. And so when we think about kind of what we're asking these calves to be able to do, already need to be be doing a good job. So again, disease. We've found, again, with some of our preliminary data that in the small groups, and especially if we're doing all the other things right, feeding tons of milk, the disease risk isn't much different individually housed and and small group um, housing. But when we think about the larger groups, groups greater than 10 calves per group. So we're we're talking, you know, these auto feeder herds with 25 calves. I'm sure some of you have have worked in those systems or have those systems on your farm and recognize these specific challenges. Um, But we, we know that it's harder to find a sick calf in a group like that. We can use technology, but we still have to have really good calf people walking through. We're increasing our morbidity rates and also our treatment rates. So in some of the studies, you know, we're treating between 65 and 85% of those calves um, during the pre-weaning period. And that doesn't even take into account kind of some of the metaphylactic treatments that we might be giving. So treating everyone, for example, before they go into the group pen. So those are are the big challenges. And then the other big one that producers always ask about is cross-sucking. That is something that we run into with pair housing and really, really with any social group. Um, and there are specific things that we can do to mitigate that. If you come to my talk, um, we, we can talk about some of those.
1: Perfect. You mentioned that disease detection is a uh, problem. You mentioned technology that could help with that. Could you uh, give us a teaser of which technology has been evaluated to improve disease detection in these settings?
2: Absolutely. So, so I did my PhD um, looking at feeding behavior data from auto feeders, and looking at you know can we can we use that information to detect diarrheal disease? Can we use it to detect respiratory disease? Um, and are there specific kind of algorithms that we can use? And teaser alert: it, my PhD didn't really work. Um, and and really, there have been people working on that for the past you know seven or eight years. And really the conclusion of all those studies is always, um, yeah, feeding behavior that we can get from the auto feeder, we can use it, but we still have to go look at the calf. So it can be a screening tool where we can say, okay, this calf might not be doing very well. Um, maybe we should go look at her, but it's not kind of a trial. The, the X feeding behavior means treatment for scours. So that's one thing. Another thing is activity monitoring, um, but that's more of a Research thing, or at least it is um, in the calf world. I know that there are um, most producers, most dairy farms that that I know that are heavy implementers of technology. So looking at rumination and and activity in their maybe heifers and their lactating herd, a lot of them are minimalist when it comes to their calves. You know, it's expensive, right? Um, I know a lot of the companies that have the ear tags, for example, that, that measure rumination and activity really want those in the cows from birth to death. But there isn't a lot of uptick there. There is potential um, for using some of those technologies, but we we still don't really know how how to do it. And so, really important in these systems to have good calf people and and people who really want to uh, want to find sick calves.
1: Thank you very much, Dr. Nowr. That was fantastic. For those that want to hear more about the benefits of socially housing calves and how that can be implemented on your operation, again, hopefully without having to build a brand new calf shed. Please join us on March 10th for the Michigan Dairy Health Symposium. We'll be talking about calf health. And again, we will be covering these and other interesting topics with worldwide recognized experts. We hope to see you at the MSU campus on March 10th. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for a great teaser. I know I'm looking forward to this and other great presentations in the symposium. To let all the listeners know, the symposium will feature speakers from Michigan State University, Cornell, University of Florida, University of Minnesota, and Mississippi State University. To learn more about the symposium and to register online, visit events.anr.msu.edu mdhs. Once again, the Michigan Dairy Health Symposium will focus on dairy calf health this year and is scheduled for March 10 at the Michigan State University campus in East Lansing. I hope you'll join us then.